Let's talk about nothing. We had more fun talking about nothing while ago. Hi, I'm Sue. Hi, I'm Sue, a grateful member of the Aldon family groups. Let's talk about nothing. I had more fun talking about nothing while ago. <laughs> All right, Keith and I would uh, like to go over. You ask us to do the 12 traditions, and uh, we've done these before. Tell them I'm not there. Phone's ringing. The thing I like about uh, the traditions now, Al-Anon adapted the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we cannot use the 12 traditions of AA. We're different. Quite a few of the traditions are different in the AA traditions than the Al-Anon traditions. Uh, for obvious reasons. But the thing that I like is in the the prefix for the traditions is that uh, it talks about the obedience to the unenforceable. Now, when we first got into the program, uh, my sponsor told me that the traditions were for the group and that you could use them in your family and in your home and uh, for recovery because it was for the group. So I retyped them, put them on the refrigerator, and I put family everywhere that said group. And my sponsor had come over, and she looked at him, and she goes, you retyped the traditions. And I said, well, yeah, because we're a family. She said, we've been here a lot longer than you have, and they've worked just fine. Nobody needs to retype the traditions for us. And it's, it talks about the group and the traditions. You break that word up and it says it's grow up. And that's what these people in this house are. Y'all need to grow up. So you leave the traditions the way they are. And so we did. And the first one for our common welfare should come first. Personal progress depends upon, uh, unity. And, We had to get well in our personal programs before we could ever come together and be unified in the home. And that's what started the progress in our home with this tradition. This tradition talks a lot about, um, it has the steps in it. It goes through there. He that learns that the clamor of desires and ambitions within him must be silenced whenever these could damage a group. So we had to get rid of our old ideas in order to be unified in our home and work on ourselves. And then we became unified. One of the things, is this thing, uh, am I hearing something? Sound like I'm talking in a 50-gallon barrel. Got it? Anyway, one of the things that uh, I've come to understand about the tradition, the, the same guy wrote the steps, wrote the tradition. Same guy wrote the steps, wrote the traditions. Basically, they're different times, but, but they, they uh, are different purposes, different motivation for Bill to uh, do the traditions, but it still came out of the same mind, and people helped him with this. So if you have step one, uh, we, uh, you know, admitted we're powerless over alcohol, dash, our life's unmanageable, and then you come to the uh, tradition one, Tradition one, whereas tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. So 
I, I get sober. I admit I'm powerless over alcohol in my life, so I'm manageable. I go to a home group, and my home group uh, teaches me unity. And where that helped me in the home was I, how I acted in my home group helped me act good at home. And I went home. And we, w- we, had, we had meetings that we went to together where I could go to the AA meeting, she'd go to Al-Anon meeting, the kid could go to an Alateen meeting one night a week. We would go, we'd get in the car, we'd go over there, and we'd, we, we would go to the meeting. After the meeting, we'd get in the car and we'd go home. So there was unity. It started out that simple. It started out as simple as we never had a meal together. Never had a meal together. And we started, okay, when can we have a meal together? When we can sit down and have a meal together as a family? And, of course, when we sit down and had a meal together, well, then we started taking each other's inventory. So our sponsors told us that when you sit down to have a meal together and you start talking, you can have a meeting. And Daddy gets to share first, and then Mom or the child gets to share. But Daddy don't have rebuttal. Daddy don't get to share twice. Daddy can't make comments. Daddy can share first because he's leading the meeting, and we're eating. And Daddy's got to listen to Mom and the child talk about their stuff and then you're through eating and the meeting's over and so we unified like that we sat down and we had a meal together and we shared but daddy can't take everybody's inventory all during the meeting daddy can express himself at the meal thank you good meal and then i shut up i don't get to talk again so that was the unity of the first step from the from the first step to the first tradition in our home we're a group we're a group and, and you come to the group to find out. We come in here and we have personalities. We have personality defects. The greatest, the greatest sponsorship tool with the traditions in a group is to give people commitments so that their character defects come out in the group and so you can work on your character defects with the help of the group. You want to get on the committee and set up these tables and, and all these centerpieces and everything else, you're, you'll see people's character defects will come right out while you're out there helping in the group. Yeah, you betcha. The second tradition is uh, for our group purposes, but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And this is the tradition that dethroned Keith. He was not the ultimate authority in our house anymore. And uh, he used to, when he was drinking, we had this old TV that you had to get up and push the buttons to change channels, and he'd say, change the channel. Neither Simone or I'd get up and we'd change the channel because we didn't want to fight. And so he gets sober, and he's sitting there on the couch, and he goes, I need the channel changed. And Simone goes, because she's been to Alateen, she goes, are your legs broken? He goes, what? She said, Dad, you're self-supporting through your own contributions, which is the seventh tradition, and now you're asking me, and you're not the authority here anymore. We have a loving God in our home. So you need to learn to do some things for yourself. We are not your trusted servants anymore. (laughs) So he gets mad. He goes out in the garage. We hear this hammering and sawing and all this stuff. He comes back in, and he has cut up two brooms and taped the handles together, and now he's laying on the stove and he's punching the TV. (laughs) And I go, great, now we have recovery in our home. (laughs) 
And we went through those kind of things. And is that being restored to sanity? I don't know. But he was self-supporting through his own contributions, you know. And we have so many things like that. Simone went through a period she didn't think she needed a curfew. And when Keith was out working out of town, she wouldn't come home till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Her and I would have an argument about, I know what goes on at 2 o'clock in the morning out there. And uh, so then when Keith would come home, I'd tell him, and she'd go, I don't know what she's talking about. Because she's a teenager. She knew everything, which is a disease of its own. And uh, so she talked to us, and Keith said, I don't think she needs a curfew. You know, she's like she's a junior in high school, and she has a program, and she knows what she's doing. She's not a bad kid. And one night we was uh, laying in bed, and she was out, and there was a car wreck down at the corner, and I was jumped out of that bed, and I was at the window right now, just like I'd always been. And it's like, I'm not going through this disease twice. And so I didn't say anything. I got up the next morning, and I uh, went down to the grocery store, and I got some boxes, and I just went upstairs, and I started packing and Keith came out, what are you doing? And I said, I'm leaving. We took a group conscience, and I'm odd man out, and, and I'm, I'm not going to go through this disease twice because if she stays out there long enough, she's going to be doing stuff that I don't want to go through with her because I went through it with you. And he said, wait a minute. And he calls Simone in, and he goes, Simone, look what your mother's doing. And she goes, so? And he goes, we're not going to live like that in this house. We're in recovery. And she goes, well, we took a group conscience. And he said, but it wasn't the solution. We need to have an informed group conscience. So we need to talk to our sponsors. And then we'll come back and and discuss it again. And so she went and called her sponsor, and pretty soon she came back in. And she said, it won't be a problem. She said, when I leave this house, I'm going to tell you what time I'll be home. And then you can learn to trust me. And I said, so what if we're not home when you leave? She said, I'll leave you a note. And I don't know if she padded her times or what, but she was always home on time or early. And so it's how sponsorship and this step had uh, tradition had worked in our life. We took group consciences and we talked to sponsors and nobody governed. We talked things out and things worked that way. I need that book. So there again, the uh, second step and the second tradition go hand in hand. Tradition too, for our group purpose, there's but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. In our case, our leaders was our sponsor. The group was us. And uh, and in the second step, we, we ask some loving God to restore us to sanity. The second tradition gives us an opportunity to do that. And like I said, there were three of us. And this is my story. I don't, whatever, if you got 20 in your house, you got a, you got a lot of people. But we only had three. And there was never a time when one of us was not in, in group consciousness, in, in God consciousness. Sometimes we all three were. Sometimes two were. But you can tell whenever you're in a, in a helter-skelter environment, if, if one person's in God consciousness, they stay focused. And you can't get them out of focus with that. And it was usually our daughter. Usually our daughter, because like I said, when I sobered up, I'm working on a relationship with my higher power. Sue's working on a relationship with our higher power. We're working the step to get, get be restored to some kind of sanity here. And the tradition was a saving grace for our group purpose. That's us. 
There is but one ultimate authority. And in the second step, I said, help me. That's what I ask in the second step. I ask this ultimate authority to help me. So I've taken the second step. Now I have a chance to use it in the house. A loving God, as we he may express himself in our group conscience, which means that the three of us were a group. So that was a group conscience. And sometimes we took group conscience and it was off balance. I told my daughter whenever she wanted to do that and mom was going to move, I said, look, babe, let me tell you something. Me and your mother were together before you even came to this earth. And you're going to grow up and go. And me and your mother are going to be together. So I don't care what the group conscience is. Me and mom were together before you got here. And me and mom are going to be here after you move out and go away. So it's me and mom. And that's the team. That's the group conscience. It's me and mom. You can't play us against each other anymore. One night... uh... Keith and I decided we wanted to have an evening home by herself. And so we told her, you know, she was going to go somewhere in, uh, to an outing function. Then she decided she wasn't going to go and she's going to stay home. And Keith said, no, you're not. Mom and I have decided we're going to have an evening home by ourselves. And you're going to go and do what you said you was going to do because we're going to be by ourselves. And so she goes, okay. And so... Our group, our home group, the young people in our home group were having a young people's dance, so she decided to go there. And so the next day, next morning, we all got up. Simone was angry and mad, and she was, you know, body language was bad. And I go, wait a minute, what's your problem? Dad and I can have some time to ourselves. And she said, I know, but you and Dad are so selfish and self-centered. You know, I came home, and the light's on in the family room, and I think that you and Dad are up there fooling around, and I keep looking at my watch. And she said, you left the light on. You didn't turn the light on. I slept in my car till 5 o'clock this morning because I didn't want to walk in on you and Dad. (laughs) And so, (laughs) no. (laughs) And I said, Simone, she goes, well, I don't know. So anyway, in the third tradition, the relatives of alcoholics, when gathered together for mutual aid, may call themselves an Al-Anon Feynman group. Provided that as a group they have no other affiliation, the only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. And when we made the decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of God, that came into our home. And we had made a commitment to the program of recovery, whichever program we were in, AA, Al-Anon, or Alateen. And what we had to do in our programs is that you had to have a program to live in our home. That was the only requirement for membership in our homes, that you had to have a program to live in our home. And one time Simone, her sponsor, had left the program. She didn't have a sponsor, and she wanted to go somewhere or do something. And we said, no, not until you get a sponsor. You can't do anything or go anywhere until you get a sponsor because you're running out on self-will. And so this tradition helps us to guard against the confusion that results when we allow our program to be diluted. Because if she had gone off and done, it's like when there's a third wheel and it doesn't have a program, it clicks. When you lose a clog in a wheel, every time you get there, there's a bump and it clicks. And so we wouldn't let that happen in our home. We kept this tradition going because our common problem was alcoholism, but we'd, bo- we'd all turned our life and our will over the care of God. And so we had to get back to that point in order to uh, not water this program down in our, in our home. It's important to understand that... Uh... Uh, 
I can say there's a cross-reference between the step and the tradition. In our case, we worked the steps, and then we got involved in the group, and then the traditions came to play. And we came, we were secretaries of meetings, and we were doing uh, different functions, and we would go together. There was times that uh, I was chairman of some kind of an activity from the AA side. She was chairman of the activity from the Alanon side, and our daughter would be chairman of the activity from the Alateen side. So we were all working on the same uh, conference or the same get-together or, or celebration. So this, the same thing falls. The only requirement for AA membership is desire to stop drinking. That tradition falls in line with the third step. The third step, I worked the third step. God help me. Something help me. I need help. I want to stay sober. So the third tradition in our home was to understand that dad wanted to stay sober. Sobriety is the most important. Physical sobriety is the most important thing in our home. That tradition enforced the fact that physical sobriety. I mean, I said, don't you bring no booze in this house. There's no going to be any booze in this house. Not going to be anything with alcohol in it. I remember one time... Uh, I told him, you know, no, don't bring it. And I got a cold and I was coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. I came home, I was working, and I was coughing and coughing and coughing. I had an alcoholic cough where every time I coughed, why well, I wanted to cough again. I'm obsessed with coughing. And they went off to their meetings and I lay down on the bed and I'm coughing, 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 coughing. And I'm an alcoholic and the more I cough, the worse it gets. And I jumped up, I went in her bathroom, I walked around, I opened the cabinet. There's a bottle of NyQuil down there. I picked that bottle of NyQuil up. I spun the top off it. There's a mirror there. I'm watching. I'm sober three or four years. And, I, and I'm watching me in that mirror. And I take that bottle of NyQuil and I turn it up. There was nothing in it but a little green drop. And I watched that little green drop come right down. I got drunk on NyQuil many times. A little green drop come down there. It's coming right down the side. And my tongue's out for that little green drop. And I thought, you know what? There's a liquor store half a block away. I might as well go get me a bottle. And I put that thing down. I threw it in the trash. And I went back and laid down on that bed. And I didn't cough another cough. <laughs> and when they got home, I said, how'd that NyQuil get in here? And Simone was sick. And she got it. And, and whatever, and just forgot about it. But I went right for that thing. I walked right around there. I opened that up. There was that deal. I spun the top off of it and stood there and waited. If that had been full of NyQuil, I would have had a different sobriety day. That's how fragile I am. That's how fragile I am. And I'm an old man with a lot of pain and a lot of medical problems. I'm still that fragile old man. I can go in any doctor's office. I can go anywhere and I can get them scripts and I'll be wandering around here bumping into the walls saying I'm sober. See it all the time. And that's what that tradition has done for me, is I have family enforcement of physical sobriety. In tradition four, each group should be autonomous, except in the matters affecting another group or Al-Anon or AA as a whole. And, you know, we'd all taken our inventory in the fourth step, and we knew who we were, and we knew how we operated, and we knew how selfish and self-centered we each were. And so when we got to this tradition, and like Keith was saying, <clears throat> Southern California Convention, he was the AA chairman, I was the Al-Anon chairman, and Simone was the Alateen chairman. And so he, uh, and we had an Al-Anon luncheon, and the kids uh, for Alateen had their Alateen banquet, and Keith was in charge of the AA banquet. And uh, 
he thought to make things simple, he ordered the same food for all three functions. Now, Simone, uh, the Alateens had taken a group inventory that they wanted hamburgers and hot dogs and that kind of stuff, and the Alanons had wanted like a chicken salad and whatever, and we didn't want the same meal three times a day. And so I called the hotel, and I called the food manager, and I said, you know, there seems to be a mistake here. And she said, no, Mr. Drum is the AA chairman, and he said... If you call, if the Al-Anon chairman or the Alateen chairman calls to change this menu, I'm the ultimate authority here. I'm in charge of this convention. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to tell you what. Not only am I the Al-Anon chairman, but I am Mrs. Drum. <laughs> and the Alateen chairman is our daughter. And so he's not going to boss us around and tell everybody what to do here. So we need to have this menu at the luncheon, and we need to have this menu at the Alateen conference. And so she said, because that decision of his was affecting Alanon as a whole because the committee had taken a vote on the menu, and it was affecting Alateen as a whole. And uh, so we get to the bank, we get to the convention, we sit down, and the first thing was the Alanon luncheon, and Keith goes, this isn't what I ordered. And we go, we know, and it's okay. <laughs> And we had to learn, even in our program, it talks about our motives. She, she told the, the head of the, of the food thing, I sleep with the AA chairman. <laughs> He's going to go with chicken, no problem. <laughs> and so Al-Anon and Alateen was not affected by his decision. He might have been, but he accepted it. So we've done things like that, and it talks in here about motives. When I do something and I want to uh, make a decision, what are my motives? How am I going to affect Al-Anon or AA? How am I going to affect Keith's sobriety? The first Christmas he was sober, I went to an office party, and I hadn't drank uh, up to them from May to December, and I went to the office party, and, and I had a drink, and he went home. I had a couple of drinks, and I came home, and he said, you've been drinking. And I said, yes, I have, and I had fun too. Well, that's one thing I, he can never do. He can never drink again and have fun. And I did something he couldn't do. And uh, he wanted to kill me. I'd wake up at night and he'd be leaning over and looking at me. And I go, what are you doing? He said, I can't decide whether to strap you to an ant den or just shoot you. He said, but whatever it is, I want you to suffer. And uh, I did an inventory. And what I found out is that alcohol had caused us so many problems in our life that uh, I didn't need it, and I wasn't going to drink it anymore, and it wasn't going to be in our house. And I was the enforcer in that. And uh, and then I told Keith, I said, I'm not going to drink anymore. And he goes, how can you do that? I said, because I can. Then he really got pissed off because I can just make a decision I'm not going to drink, and it's not a problem. And uh, so he had to run around with his sponsor for a couple of weeks to get over all of that. And it was good for us in our home, though, because it taught Simone that uh, mom and dad are together on all of this. There's no booze in our home. If you want to drink, you can, but you can't come home if you drink. Nobody has booze on their breath. And he came. He told me, he said, I can't suck on a drunk girl's tongue and stay sober. And I said, it's not going to be a problem. You know? And so that's the tradition that got us to that point in our recovery. Tradition five. Tradition five. So tradition five is, uh, I don't have them memorized. 
There it is right there, Tradition 5. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And uh, that's a very important thing because a lot of times the alcoholic that's suffering is me. And uh, this is very important tradition, just like the fifth step, the fourth and fifth step. We know all of the stuff about us and what have you, and we've shared it with our sponsor. But, but in this particular tradition, Tradition 5, our group has one primary purpose, dash, end of thought. And that, what is that primary purpose? Primary purpose is to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I do that in my home group, and I pay attention. I'm very, very strong about paying attention to the uh, people with time. There's a lot of people sitting around in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings who have years of sobriety, and they're dying inside. They've got all kinds of things going on that have come up with years of sobriety, and they're dying inside. And they want to sit in meetings and act like everything's going on. And I went through that. I went through several surrenders, three years, five years, and ten years. And at ten years, I went through a complete change, occupation change, financial change. I, I had uh, a lot of uh, problems with money. I, mean, I was making $260,000 a year, and nine years sober, and uh, I wasn't reporting any of it. And, uh, and then I had a big change, and the next year I made 16. Now, if you've had 260000 a year coming in, and my wife and kid and everybody's, you know, living on that, and then I, I have this change, and I'm making 16000 a year, that's a social shock. Money is the root of all evil. Lack of money is the root of evil. And I'm going to tell you, my daughter driving a Porsche around wanted me to pay for her insurance, wanted me to put this, that, and the other. And I said, no, we all sit down. And I said, I'm getting honest here, and I'm not going to bring that money in. I'm, I'm, I don't have the money. And I went down and traded her Porsche for a, a Volkswagen Jetta. And uh, she, she was upset about that. Uh, but the important thing to understand, in our family, what we're going through, where we're sharing to you today, today is that nine years sober, there was old-timers and Alcoholics Anonymous who said, you've been running around here. I had a Rolls Royce, man. I had Rolexes and $1,000 cowboy boots. I was high rolling, man, because I'm going to tell you something. When I got sober, my slicking and dicking was a whole lot better. I'm a mover and a shaker and a candlestick baker, and I had shit going on, let me tell you. Sober, running around meetings, drive up out front with a Rolls Royce with a bunch of newcomers hanging out the window like dogs, and I buy ice cream for everybody. After I sponsored a hundred and some people, man, because I bought ice cream after the meetings and all kinds of crap. Because I had all this money, and I was making my financial amends and all that stuff, and boom, boom. I didn't wake up one morning and say, "I think I'll get honest." I woke up one afternoon, and the FBI is at the door. And they put us all on the floor and took everything and changed my life. And uh, the Rolls Royce went away and everything went away. And uh, that's okay. All right. But I'll tell you what, sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, nine, ten years sober, my ass is falling off. And I, I love them participation meetings. I went to participation meetings, and I wouldn't be sober if it weren't for participation meetings. And they would call on me, and I'd say, I'm, I'm nine years sober. My ass is falling off. My ass is falling off. I don't know what to do. I gotta get a job. I gotta go to work. I gotta get a boss. 
And there was old timers that said, you've been running around here with your Rolls Royce and all your little puppy dogs, your gang of ice cream eaters, and you deserve this shit, you asshole. And they turned their back on me because they were pissed off and jealous. They did. Old timers. And then there was old timers that come and said, come here, kid. Come go with us. We've been through these surrenders. We'll show you how to get through this and you'll stay sober. Those old timers grabbed me, scooped me up and they said, come here. Get your ass in a meeting. Get a job. They, they took me down to an unemployment office. File for unemployment. I got, I'm driving a brand new Mercedes. The payment on that Mercedes is 900 a month. I drove my sponsor down to the unemployment office in that Mercedes. He said, boy, it's got nice wood on the dash here. I said, yeah, it does, $900 a month. I didn't have no job. I went in and filed for unemployment. I lied. I lied. Little old gray-headed lady took my application. I lied to her. I told her they laid me off because they did away with my position. They fired me. And I come back out and my sponsor went back with me a week later and that little old lady, I went, he said, my sponsor sat down out there in a chair. I went in there. That little old lady said, you can't draw on employment because you lied on your application. Oh, okay. My unemployment had only been 400 a month, 500 a month. They won't even make my car payment. And I go back out there and my sponsor said, did you get it? Yeah, I got it. I heard the pop. I lied. I'm a liar. We go out and get in that Mercedes and drive off. He says, you need to get a job. Get a job with a boss. Go to work. And that's what these old timers did for me. They took me. They put me in a place where I have to go to work. I'd have to work these traditions. I have to work these steps. And they saved me at 10 years sober. And some of those old timers that turned their back on me later came to me and said, you know, I was wrong. I had something I could have shared with you, but I judged you, and and uh, I was wrong. They made amends to me, but some of them didn't, and that's okay. That's okay because there's some people here to give resentments, and some people here are here to take them. And and I walked through that because old timers came and got me. They believed that ten years of sobriety is worth saving just as much as ten days, and that's what I'm talking about. The alcoholic who still suffers could be somebody with time. On this fifth tradition, it's my favorite of all of them because it says it's different from the AA one. Each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves. Now, where do you find the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't find it in Al-Anon literature. Do you find the printing of the AA steps in the Al-Anon literature. So in Al-Anon, this gives us permission to go to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in my opinion, in my sponsor's opinion, in her sponsor's opinion, in Arbutus O'Neill's opinion, which is a long-timer in this um, program that gave me permission to have a step study, an Al-Anon step study, and use the Al-Anon 12 and 12 and use the AA 12 and 12 as a backup for the step study. And it has gotten me into a, a bigger depth of recovery than I would have ever found out with the Al-Anon book alone. There's three challenges in this tradition. One is showing concern for others frees ourselves from bitterness, resentment, and anxiety. Two, accepting alcoholism as a disease. 
And three is our own serenity and spiritual growth, which takes us to the sixth tradition. Our Elanon family groups ought never finance, endorse, or lend our name to any outside enterprise. Lease money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary spiritual aim. Although a separate entity, we should always cooperate with Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, when Keith got in trouble with the feds, I did not interfere with that. If he was going to have to pay money back, he was going to have to pay money back. It, um, and we had to humble ourselves to live within our own means. And uh, I kept working, and I kept minding my own business. AA was taking care of him. And uh, as long as I could make the house payment and have groceries in our house, I was fine. As long as he was staying sober and he had a job and he was doing what he could to get through that federal indictment, he was fine. And that's the path we kept on, was the path of recovery, and we kept our focus um, on our primary spiritual aim. Now, what I understand today, there is no material gain until there's spiritual growth. And we've been in this program 33 years. And uh, a year ago, we got some money out of the stock market, and Keith said, you know, we're losing this money. What do you want to do with it? Where do you want to put it? And we talked about uh, we'd bought this little house over in Vegas and fixed it up, and, and we... Uh, Wanted He wanted a nicer house, and I thought that would be good, too. And I said, you know, let's not put that in any place where we draw interest or anything. Let's take it to Vegas and buy another house. And so we got that money, and we uh, was going over to Vegas, and uh, one of his friends that was a property appraisal over there called us on the way, and he said, I found this really nice house, and I'd like for you guys to look at it, and I think it would be a good deal for you. And... Uh, why don't you drive by, I'll meet you over there. And so we went over there and we looked at this house, and it's a custom home. And uh, it's beyond anything I ever thought that we could have. And it has a pool with it, and it's on a golf course, and it was unreal. And uh, houses in that area were listing for like 575 or something like that. And we made an offer on that house of 250 And this guy said, you're kidding. And I said, no, it's with Indy Bank. And they just went under. And this agent said... Uh, they got three other offers on this house, Sue. And I said, yeah, but there'll be mortgages, and we're offering cash. And he said, okay. And so he called the next day, and he said, they want your best and final offer. And I said, they got it. And he said, Sue, you don't understand. And I said, no, you don't understand. If it's meant to be, it'll happen. If it's not, it won't. That's how you know that God's in charge. It'll run smooth. He said, whatever. And he was in AA. And he called us the next day, and he said, I don't believe it, but you just bought yourself a house. And we have no house payments on it, and uh, that feels good. And uh, we have people in program over there. Last weekend, Keith was on a camp out with his home group, and some girls from California came over. And we had a step-study meeting in that house with Al-Anons and AA women locally and from California. And uh, that house is a program home. It has program in it. And... Uh, Without this program and practicing these traditions and steps at our home, nothing's possible. But we practice these things, everything is possible. On self-will, nothing's possible. But working these uh, traditions and, and our primary spiritual aim is to be of service to our God 
and to help other people in this program. And as long as we're giving ourselves away to this program and what we have learned for fun and for free, then there will be some material gain. And that's what we've, these traditions have promised us, and that's what have happened without expectations. Because when it happens, you know it's God's will because there's no struggles. If there's struggles, then we're into self-will. Like I say, the traditions uh, coincide with the steps. So tradition six in AA is AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any uh, related facility or outside enterprise, lease problems of money, property, and prestige, divert us from our primary purpose. And that's where your character defects. My character defects, my character defects flourish with money. If there's one problem I have, I mean, my character defect of anger it, it comes back to anger, but it's because I'm not getting my way or I don't know what's going on. They, I come out, that's my, that's, I put that step forward. But my major character defects is money. Money. I'm a money man. I'm a money man, man. I make money. I've had money, 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 money lots and lots and lots of money. When I was dealing drugs, I had lots and lots and lots of money. And I have been rich and poor and rich, I mean really rich and poor and rich and poor. Rich and poor. Drinking. Rich and poor, rich and poor. And and I'd have, you know, feast or famine. And I would have all this stuff and then it'd all be gone. And I never gamble, I'm not a gambler, but I gambled with everything I had. Every, that's what I found out in the, in the fifth step and the sixth step was that my character defect was that I gambled everything I had. We'd have all this stuff, and then, boom, we wouldn't have anything. We'd have all this stuff, and then, boom, we And I could see that in my family. So in sobriety, in sobriety, uh, I see these things happening to my family. I see the look on my family's faith when I have this feast or family. I mean, they wanted fundraisers, and they, I raised some money, baby. Let me tell you, I raised so much money, they didn't know what the hell to do with it. They had a big fight over the fact I, I had a softball tournament, I had this, I had a raffle, I had all these things. All of a sudden, they didn't have no money. All of a sudden, they got $5,000. What are we going to do with all this money? We're going to spend it. I didn't raise it, so the hell we don't spend it. We're going to throw a hell of a party. And we'd have, when I'd have my AA birthday party, we had a party. I'm telling you. We'd have 300 people. We'd have 40-foot sandwiches and ice cream for everybody, and there was shit everywhere, and give gifts away, and people brought cards paying homage to me. I'm telling you, man, I rolled it. And people hated me and jealous of me, and all, I was creating crap everywhere. See? If they didn't have no money in the group, I raised the money, give them the money. Had a raffle. Bought a 1,000 tickets. I was throwing it everywhere. And it's a character defect. And all of a sudden, here I am in this thing. And people are judging me. People are telling me, you need to slow down. Stop. See? And and the seventh tradition, all of a sudden, you got the seventh. Every AA group ought to be self-supporting, declining outside contributions. I had to quit raising money for my group. <laughs> I had people owed me money. They'd, I'd tell them I'm going to run over with my car if they didn't pay that money back. And they'd come down and walk up to the door of the meeting and hand somebody in the door and say, go put this in the basket and tell Keith I brought it. See, I had to quit doing them kind of things. 
That's what got me in trouble whenever the feds come after me in sobriety is because of what I was doing before I got to AA. And I bring that in here and I'm associated with all these people and they got pictures of me with all these people. And here I am sober. I didn't bring it into AA. I didn't bring nobody in here. I didn't harm you. If you needed a cake, hell, I'd buy a cake. See, big time Charlie, big daddy. Big daddy had all these people. Boy, when I tell you what, when all that changed at 10 years sober, Every guy that I sponsored fired me. When they found out I went from 200,000 a year to 10, 16, see ya, dude. All these guys walked, all these guys that had asked me to be their sponsor because I was big time Charlie walked away, baby. All but one guy, he's brand new. He's too stupid to know what happened. Thank God he stayed. But boy, all these people, the rats left the ship. I'm telling you, they didn't know what loyalty was. Alkies don't know what the hell loyalty is. If you're buying ice cream and cake and giving them money to take trips and going all this stuff, sure they'll ask you to be sponsor. With the seventh tradition and Al-Anon, the self-supporting stuff came from uh, you work your own program. You know, if you make a mess, you pick up after yourself. You throw your clothes on the floor, you pick them up, and we still work that tradition in our home today. You know, and uh, you know, we work our own individual programs and then we come together at the end of the day. We go, my favorite time with Keith is at night when we go to bed because we've done our thing, run our errands, we're retired, we're together a lot, but he has things to do, things to take care of during the day and so do I and, and, uh, and we do that and we go to our own individual meetings at nighttime. Sometimes we go to a meeting together. But when we get at home at night and we go to bed, we lay there for a little bit and we just visit. We just visit. We had things to share with each other. It's like when we were connected at the hip and I was chasing him around all over and we was doing everything and he had to be with me right now, all that kind of, we had nothing to share. We had absolutely nothing to share. So that possessive, self-centered obsessiveness gave us nothing as a couple. And today we have things to share together. And like I said, nighttime is my favorite time with Keith. Um, last week, two weeks ago, he came, he went to Vegas and because I was taking a trip with some girls sharing at a conference in Hawaii and they were having bike week in Vegas and he went to Vegas and stayed in the house over there and he took some alcoholics with him that stayed with him in that house. And uh, then when the weekend was over, they went back to California and he stayed there for a week by himself and then I stayed there that week and I went to San Jose to another conference and then I came back this last Monday and I went to Vegas. And I missed that time. The time I missed him most during the week was every night when I went to bed. I didn't have anybody to talk to him. We'd call each other on the phone. Hey, babe, how was your day? You know? And we'd talk to each other on the phone for a little while at night. And he would say to me, he would say to me, baby, I miss you. Oh, my God. He used to say, get the hell away from me. And he's saying, baby, I miss you. You know? Music to my ears. I've always wanted that man to love me and care about me. And it's because of the changes with the traditions and everything. I mean, he was self-supporting for himself for one whole week, and, and I was without him for a week, and we get together, and we appreciate each other, and we love each other. And um, the eighth tradition is Al-Anon 12-step work should remain for 
ever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. And it's like this tradition in our home, it's like uh, we're not professionals. We don't do anything. Keith has his own, uh, had his own business with motorcycles and building motorcycles, and he loved doing that. And uh, I was president of the corporation and never had an opinion on anything with that because he had sober alcoholics working for him. Yeah, and uh, I remember during the drinking days, he, I got a bill from the IRS for $50,000. And I said, wait a minute. I haven't made the kind of money where I owe $50,000 in taxes. This is your deal. And he said, well, if you can't use your wife's Social Security number, what in the hell good is she? And that was during the drinking days, and those are the kind of games we played. And I looked at him, and I said, look, you're going to pay this bill. He goes, well, it's in your name. And I said, no, I know some of your friends, and for 500 bucks, I can have a hit put on your ass. I'm not paying that bill. I'm going to jail, and you're dying. But if you pay that bill, you get to live. And... uh that's the kind of games we played before we got this program. We don't do that anymore. In fact, we don't even have bills the IRS anymore. You know, we made all of our men's in that area too. And uh, we have a tax man that loves alcoholics, and he helps us get through things. When we went through all that stuff with the feds, that was a time when Keith had a lot of money, and they were wanting some of that money. And our tax man said, you need to make an investment. And we sold our old house and bought a new house, and people were saying, I heard you had to sell your house. Yeah, well, we bought a house in Yorba Linda up in the hills, and, you know, it was great because we didn't have to lose our home. We had to make right business decisions. And with the tax man that we have and Keith being a money man in recovery, he's become smarter with how to invest his money. And uh, we don't hang out financially anymore. We work together. And he tells me where the money is. It's like we used to watch The Sopranos, and we'd see Tony out there hiding money in the dog food bin, and I understood that. It's like, where do you find the money if he's gone? (laughs) And today I don't have those problems. There's a lot of things that uh, we've had to uh, uh, grow and change, but money, money was a big thing in our family. My daughter just expected, you know, take care of me, Dad. And once I sobered up, it's like all the guilt, you know, I had to buy guilt gifts. And uh, I tried to do that. I spent a lot of money trying to buy guilt off, and that don't work. That don't work. And uh, I enjoyed giving them gifts, and I could. And uh, one of the things about the seventh and eighth tradition is uh, uh, self-supporting and change in the home. When she'd bring women over to the house, the, the newcomers, to bring them over to the house, I had to learn t- to not treat them like they were barmaids you know, or strippers. I had to change in the home. And we would bring people over to our house. We w- we got to where in early sobriety, uh, we had a big home, and we'd bring people over at Thanksgiving. There'd be 150 people at our house eating. I'd buy all these turkeys and all, everybody ever bombing town that was went to a meeting, come to our house, be 150 people over there eating Thanksgiving, lined up out in the street, coming through the house, getting turkeys and everything. People come to our house Christmas time. There'd be 100 people over there Christmas Day eating turkeys and stuff. I bought all this stuff and fed all these people come to my house, and they'd be all over the house, all over the neighborhood, parking their cars on the neighbor's lawn, you know, 
I didn't give a damn about my neighbors. The cops had been there before. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sober, and I got a 100 alcoholics wandering around out in the street with a plate of dressing and turkey and asking people, what are you doing? I mean, I, I wasn't any different sober, and I was drunk. See? I had no respect for my neighbors and all this crap going on around the neighborhood. I just had a bunch of alcoholics. I'd look in the backyard, and there'd be all these alcoholics in the backyard, rapists, perverts, weirdos. Every damn thing you could think of was in AA was out in my backyard eating Thanksgiving dinner. Parked all over the neighbors, couldn't get out of their driveway. And I had to recognize, utilizing these traditions, is that, you know, look, I'm not a step house. This isn't a a halfway house. I, I have to have respect for my neighbors and other people and respect for my home and respect for the privacy of my wife and daughter. And, and take care of this. I, I'm not Big Daddy. I had to shut that down. And uh, because I'm going to get resentful and I'm going to get drunk at you. Because you don't respect it. You're not paying back. You ain't. I, if, I need had entitlement. You know, the 4th of July, I better get four invitations to these other people's house. You were over my house on Thanksgiving. And that's this tradition here, see. We're not a service center. I'm not a special employee. I need to take care of my family. I need to take care of my family. I need to show my family respect. And sure enough, it, by little by little, we went and got a hall like this, and Thanksgiving we'd have a thing like this, and people could come. And people brought food. They had potlucks. They were self-supporting through their own contribution. And I had to see, like the eight tradition and the eight step, the eight tradition with the group when I'm bringing all these bums in to eat at my house, and they're parking their cars everywhere and causing chaos in the neighborhood, I owe a man. I owe a man. And, and I'm not responsible for all that, see? And I had, to, I had to change. All that had to change. And this tradition helped me. Uh, freely you give, freely you receive. And, and I had to see that when, when a newcomer got sober and got him a new car, I had to be glad he got a new car. And say, come get me and I'll go to a meeting with you. When, when I, people wanted to invite us over at their house to reciprocate, we'd go over to their house. See? And that, so thank you for inviting us to your house. The eighth tradition, the eighth step is part of the amends. Changing is part of that seventh tradition is the financial uh, stability so that my family isn't feast or famine where I got a hundred bucks or nothing. See? And the same thing with the ninth tradition is just like the ninth step. The ninth tradition, if you, if you co-mingle it, tradition nine, AA such ought never be organized, but we may have create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. The first thing I had to recognize in my family is it takes her longer to get ready to go to a meeting than it does me. And I might be ready to leave after the meeting before she is. And I was outside. Here I am again. Honk, 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 honk. Just like I was when I was drunk. When I was drunk, I'd go out and get in the car. Honk, honk, honk. And I'd get drunk in the car. Time's time to go. I'm laying out there passed out in the car. And here I am sober. We're going to go. Honk. And I finally said, you know what? I'll take my car. You can take your car. And we'd go. We'd be there. We'd walk in. We'd sit down, we'd be together. She wanted to leave, go ahead, I'd say. We became self-supporting. But the amends was that I quit doing that stuff. 
Right? That behavior, that drunken behavior, drunken behavior. And tradition nine is what, what, we're not organized. I don't expect us to be organized. I go to an AA thing and all these alcoholics are fighting about something in the group and they're fighting and fighting and fighting. The meeting's over, they go outside and they're all hugging each other saying, I'll see you next week, Charlie. See? And the same thing at our home. I can't expect this to change overnight. And, uh, and the point is to get to the meeting and do our commitments. This tradition is the same for the Al-Anons. And uh, according to the wishes of the group and in line with our traditions, according to wishes in the group, we had to become willing to say, what do you think about this? You know, and get... Um, three opinions on what we think about this and to get organized to who's going to do what. This is the tradition that got me to throw away my scorecard. I used to keep track of what I did and what he did and what Simone did and everybody better shape up and, and, and fit up to my expectations of whatever was on that list. And so this is the tradition that I got rid of the scorecard. I don't keep score anymore. If uh, Keith fixes dinner, you know, great, it doesn't mean that I have to fix it twice or whatever. And uh, the thing about Keith that um, after he got sober and I fixed dinner, he always helped clean up the table afterwards and put things away, which helped. You know, and we both chip in on, on the cleanup part. And, uh, and Simone started doing that. And uh, I had to ask Simone in the very beginning. Uh, my sponsor said, don't tell her, ask her if she will do things. And because uh, she has choices, and it's not the the parent talking to the kid anymore. It's like we are human beings in this house. And so I'd tell Simone, you know, do you think you could do the dishes tonight? And she'd say, Yes, I can. And I'd have to say, Well, okay, great. What time do you think that you will have them done? And she would always say, Ten o'clock. Well, it's like 7 o'clock or 6.30, and we're getting ready to go to a meeting. I want the dishes done before we go to a meeting. And she and I'd ask her. She'd said yes, and she said by 10 o'clock. And we'd leave, and we'd go to our meeting. We'd go home, and we'd get ready for bed, and the dishes are there. And at 5 till 10, she'd go in, and she'd wash the dishes. And it's like I had to start. And by doing that, we started having trust and faith in each other. And it got Simone and I into recovery together. And it's like, if I'm going to do this, it talks about in the Al-Anon book about qualified leadership. And I was taught that the woman sets the pace in the home. If I want people to do things in the home, I have to be willing to do it myself or to be an example of recovery and do it myself and then let go of who does what. And if they want to do it, they can. And, uh, you know, i got to let it begin with me. Tradition 10, an Al-Anon family group has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Now, as we've gone through surrenders in this program, people say we talk about others in this program with loving concern. Well, you can say whatever you want to about it, but bottom line, it's gossip. And uh, we were on the gossip list with some of the greats. <laughs> and I told Keith when we went through our... 10-year surrender and people were talking about us, I said, well, at least they've included us with the people that are up there on the pedestals because a bunch of them are falling off at the same time. 
And uh, at least they're thinking about us, you know. And they're saying you're losing your home and all that kind of stuff. And, and we weren't. They didn't know the whole truth. And so I and I had a friend that I'd come into Al-Anon with. And when her and I would talk together, we took everybody else's inventory. And my sponsor put me on a two-year space from her because she said, you can't talk to her without gossiping. And you've got to break that pattern. So I told her, I said, I can't talk to you for two years because you and I gossip about everybody. And so she said, okay. And so now her and I are friends and we talk to each other. And, uh, you know, she has longevity in the program and she knows everybody. And uh, the only time we talk to you about anybody else is that she'll call me and, and tell me that she's heard somebody, one of our mutual friends, pass away in the program. And she does it so often anymore that I told her here a while back, I said, when you die, you are the only person I want to call me and tell me you're dead. You know, <laughs> so we do those kinds of, so we have no opinions. And when we was going through stuff, um, and I tell people if they want to share something with me and say, what do you think? I said, I don't know. I'm working the 10th tradition. I don't have an opinion. That's an outside issue. Because whatever you do in your personal life is your business. Whatever you do that affects my home group is my business. Whatever you do that affects my family is my business. But whatever you do to yourself, uh, that's between you and your God and your sponsor. And so I don't go there with people anymore. I really love the tent tradition because that really is the tradition that bridges the gap. And and, uh, it's just like the tent step. You review the tent step and uh, promptly make amends and go, get on with it. And Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name will never be drawn into public controversy. And uh, there's a lot of, I have a lot of experiences with this type of thing. Uh, but Tradition 10, when I've gone through my surrenders, people gossip about you and people talk stuff about you, and it's just simple. And it's none of my business. I need to practice the 10th tradition and live and let live. And... Uh, there, there is a tradition there that that offers that, and uh, I love that tradition because it's it's the uh, the stopgap on any crap that goes on with people, you know, and divorces. I'm talking about divorces and all kinds of things, inner uh, relationships and what have you, and people get involved in those things. And, and Alcoholics Anonymous, why this tradition is, you know, keep it outside the group. The same, t- the same thing when we're sitting at home as a family and we're all going to meetings and we know all the same people, we don't sit at home and gossip about all these people in our house. And uh, we had to learn that what went on in the meetings was, was the individual's uh, uh, personal relationship. And that tent tradition is what, you know, we're not going to, because Simone would go to Alateen and the Alateens would be talking about what mommy and daddy are doing or mommy's doing or daddy's doing that's in AA or Al-Anon, and the kids are talking about it. And so Simone had privy to a lot of information that the kids were talking about. The adults didn't know about yet. It hadn't exploded over there yet. But the kids knew it. Or mommy and daddy's chipping and drinking a little bit here and there and saying they're not. All that kind of stuff had to stop. And this tradition stopped that. It's just like the tenth step. This is the tenth tradition, and tenth tradition applying in our life. Stopped all that stuff. What you do outside of, you know, that's fine. Just don't bring it into the meetings. And I had to learn that too. What surrenders I went through with my personal life, 
I don't bring it into the meetings. I don't go into meeting and run out all my crap about my personal life. I have a sponsor that I talk to about that, and I go to meetings and I say, I'm going through something. How can I talk about something I'm going through? I'm not through it yet. I'm not through it yet. You can't talk about a surrender until you're on the other side of it. You can say, I'm in pain. You can say, I'm confused. You can say, I don't know what's going on. I'm frustrated. I'm angry, whatever. But I have a sponsor, and I'm going to work the steps, and I'm going to apply it, and I'm going to get through it. That's what the newcomers want to hear. Can you do this and get through it? And that's what this tradition greases the skid. I'm going to get through it, just like the 11th tradition is like the 11th step. Tradition 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. That When I was talking about buying ice cream for everybody, I was promoting me, and I was wrong. I was sober doing exactly the same thing that I was doing out there drunk. And so I had to shape up. I had to blend. I had to blend. And I found out that there's certain people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't hang around with the golfers. I hang around with the bikers and the bad boys and the bent fenders and the shitheads. I tell my wife, you know that guy came over and started talking to me and, and he's crazy. He's a nutcase. He's a bent fender. She, I said, why does he come to me? And she goes, duh, duh, look at yourself. You're attracted. That's who you help. That's the program of identity. And what I had to recognize is that I, you know, I've never, I've never done anything on the radio. I've never done anything. One time I was telling somebody they wanted me to do a, they wanted me to do a D, uh, one of them, uh, DVDs so they could play it in the penitentiary. And they wanted to film me. And they wanted to set up a, a phony thing, phony audience, and they wanted to have a laugh machine and all that stuff. And they wanted me to get up at the podium and they're going to put a camera and they're going to film me tell my story and they're going to show it in the penitentiary. And I went to my sponsor. I didn't see nothing wrong with that. I'll tell my story. I went to my sponsor and I said, what do you think of this? And he said, you know, Keith, the thing that's going to kill you is the makeup. <laughs> he said, when they fix you all up and powder you up and put lipstick on your lips and all that stuff, you're going to have to perform in front of that camera. And that's what's going to kill you. Not violating the tradition. What's going to kill you is performing. And I went and told him I can't do it. And I've never worked in the field. I've never done anything like that. I'm just in a trench. I'm down in the trench with bent fenders and alcoholics. And I, and I carry that tradition and I don't promote it. Anyway, I just remember, remember in good standing of my home group and of Alcoholics Anonymous. In this tradition of Al-Anon, um, you know, it talks about this is the tradition that gives security to the insecure and it gives humility to the insecure. It's attraction rather than promotion, be an example in your own home and your own group. And uh, I did a woman's conference. I was recommended one time to do a woman's conference in Anaheim at the convention center. It's put on by the governor. And I was asked to do public information regard to Al-Anon group and let all these women and professional women that came uh, know what Al-Anon was all about. And so I was on the panel, and I really didn't pay attention to who I was with. And when I got there, I was on the panel with the president of MAD and a president for a lady that was trying to start uh, the three strikes program for prisoners in California. And so they had me on the program first. 
and I shared how I loved an alcoholic and uh, things that I basically told my story. And the other two women crucified the hell out of me like I was stupid for staying in there and that this program's helped me accept the unacceptable and he should be in prison. And, oh, my God, it was horrible. So that afternoon we were on another panel doing the same thing. And uh, I said, I'm not sharing unless I can go last. And they go, wait, you can't change the program. And I said, yeah, I can. And I said, I will share on this panel if I can go last, but I am not going to go first and let these women crucify me again. And so they said, well, ask the other women. And so I told them, I said, do you mind if I go last? And they go, well, no, it really doesn't matter to us. And I said, great. So when they got through, I said, that's the kind of person I love. This is a disease and it's called alcoholism. And I talked to him from a totally different perspective of how these people don't mean to be who they are and do what they do. It's a disease called alcoholism. And it was a great experience in the end. And I had a lot of women come up to me, how do you find out about this deal? And I was on, um, they had a health day outside the county jail one Sunday, and, and they had booths for these different health things set up and and we had our Al-Anon booth there and this guy came out of the jail and he walked over to our Al-Anon table and he picked up our pamphlet Freedom from Despair and he said to me if I go to this king can you promise me this and I said absolutely and he said how can you do that and I said because I have been where you're at and that's the answer to this whole program I have been where you're at how many times did I go down to that jail and try and bail Keith out? Yeah, and uh, so it's an attraction. It's not promotion. The twelfth uh, tradition, anonymity, is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. I cannot break my own anonymity unless I have the approval of Keith to do so first. And Keith doesn't have a problem with that. And uh, Simone doesn't have a problem with that. Uh, in her program in Italy, because her husband's family is not in the program and they don't understand the disease of alcoholism, she does not break her anonymity with her uh, married name. And in Italy, most women, when they get married, they still go by their maiden name, and Simone does that in all of her public information works in Italy. So it's not a reflection of the Bertolotto family because they're not involved in alcoholism at all. And things that I've written in this book on this tradition over the years and working with the long timers in this program, working with me and when they talk to me, I make notes. And his principles are a code of conduct to live by. Principles are more important than the individuals. It's like I cannot make a friend and they start breaking the principles of this program and they and they want to still be my friend. I hang out with the winners. And if you don't want to practice these principles in your affairs, that's your business. But I won't go down the chute with you. You know, I will walk away because I walk on the sunny side of the street. Principles are revealed through personalities. God uses people to help other people. Principles never change. Personalities always do. Sometimes people change for the better, and sometimes they change for the worse, and sometimes they just stay like they are. And I want to be with the people that are getting better in this program, and they're trying to move on and change. And they encourage me to do the same thing. 
listen to the message and not the person. Sometimes I really have to practice that in a meeting because you know Sally's going to bitch and moan and groan about him again. But Sally needs help. And so I talked to her on a one-one after the meeting and say, baby, it's going to be okay. Have you tried this? Have you talked to your sponsor about this? People will fail us. Principles never will. If I stick with these principles, I will always have hope in my life. And one thing that I try to live by in uh, my life today and one of the principles I live by is, um, you know, if I'm right, I don't have to defend myself, and if I'm wrong, I can't. So there's no debate on what's going on in my life today. It's like if I'm wrong, then I just shut up and, okay, fine, no problem. You know? And if I'm right, I don't have to convince you of that either. There's only two things that will happen to me that mess me up in my life today, when I get my way and when I don't get my way. And uh, I have to turn to God to uh, turn all those things around in my life. And I am so grateful that uh, you all have come and asked us to come and be a part of your life this weekend and ask us to share. Because Keith and I have just gone through the steps. We've gone through the traditions with you. And what that does to us, it's like, you know, Keith talked about we only take the last three steps of this program on a daily basis in our life now because we've been through the last nine. But when we are asked to do this with people, it renews all of this. Just like taking a newcomer through the steps, it renews the steps for me. And I know that I'm not well and that I got keep coming back too. So thank you. Okay. Anybody got any questions?